welcome back to another episode of Making Waves. Today we're going to have an open conversation about LGBTQ plus and the API community. We'll be discussing our views and knowledge about LGBTQ plus identities as well as reflect on the intersections between LGBTQ plus folk and API folk. Again, before we begin, we would like to do some lambda acknowledgements and vision statements. Okay, for our land acknowledgements, um, let it be known, acknowledge that Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon is located within the traditional homeland of the Mary's River or Ampanufu Band of Kalapuya. Following the Willamette Valley Treaty of 1855, Kalapuya people were forci forcibly removed to reservations of Western Oregon. Today, living descendants of these people are part of the confederated tribes of the Grand Ronde community of Oregon and the confederal tribes of the Silet Indians. Phoenix, Arizona is on the traditional homeland of the Ak-e-mil, Atham, and the Salt River, Maricopa, Pima native communities. Here at Making Waves, we try to illuminate the experiences of Asian and Pacific Islanders here at Oregon State University. Facilitating dialogue surrounding culture and diversity, we hope to dive into some of these complexities of the Asian and Pacific Islander experience through topics such as pop culture, social identity, multiculturalism, and etc. Among the many topics we wish to cover, we hope that you can resonate with our stories as well as expose yourself to some new ideas and perspectives. So today we have a special guest with us, Sandy Wynn, if she would like to introduce herself. Hello everyone, my name is Sandy Wynn and I use she, her, hers pronouns and I'm studying biohealth sciences with an option in pre-pharmacy and I'm currently a student success peer facilitator for Seoul LGBTQ Multicultural Support Network and I've also had the chance to work with APCC this year as a liaison between Seoul and them. And for today, as previously mentioned, we're going to be talking about the LGBTQ plus and AAPI communities. And to start us off, I wanted to ask everyone a question regarding our upbringings. And the question is, what were the reactions of those around you while you were growing up when it came to the idea of anything that really fell out of heteronormativity? And how did those reactions compare to your own thoughts while you were growing up, right? And what I said was a, a big mouthful, right? So to break that down and like give an example, right, is... Growing up, what was the reaction to, um, for example, the concept of being gay? Or if there was someone in your life, whether it be a relative or a friend, that showed signs of what would be stereotypically associated with being gay? Yeah, so LGBTQ plus is an acronym. Um, L stands for lesbian. G stands for gay. B stands for bisexual. T transgender, Q is queer, and plus is just to add any more and be inclusive within that community. Um, other identities might be two-spirited within um, Native American communities, for example. Thank you, Becca. Yeah, um, and so it's kind of like a, since there's an array of gender and sexuality, so one to kind of start us off, sorry, um, but so sex, gender, and sexuality are all like socially constructed in a way, and that's how we get LGBTQ to define those specific things. Um, just so people are, 
are able to follow us, um, I think it's easier to kind of define um, and help people along the way. Um, and the plus indicates that there's more to it than we might know or more than we can actually put into that, right? Um, but yeah, thank you for the question. And thank you for elaborating, Becca. Um, I think growing up, I guess I was always just like, and at least in my family, there wasn't any like pressure on like, oh, you should be like girly or like, oh, that's too boyish of you. Um, like for example, like my mom, she signed me up for like flag football one time and like all, all the people in there were like boys. Um, and she just like, she didn't like care if it was like a boyish sport. She just like wanted me to do something that was like active. Um, so I feel like, I guess I was lucky to not feel like be raised in a place where I felt like pressure to be more feminine. Um, and like with friends at least like you know I think we're I think we're like very affectionate you know um and like maybe like in society that might be seen as like gay or I don't know but I think I think we've definitely like we find it at least right now I feel like it's been a little bit more accepting to be like oh we're all friends like we can be more like affectionate and like not be criticized for that I think for me, um, I so people who have listened to the podcast from the from the beginning of the season know that I was raised with a single parent, who was my mom, who is Dene. Um, so I didn't really grow up until probably until I was like five, seven ish, um, is when like we kind of separated from my. Um, my Laotian identity um, for protection reasons. And so I can only speak on the experience raised by single parents who is indigenous and the ways that like my great grandma had taught my mom how to like be a human being um, through traditional practices. So um, as Becca mentioned before, there's like the additional two-spirit, um, which I identify with because it acknowledges um, diverse gender, sex, and sexuality within indigenous communities before settler contact. So the way that we understand LGBTQ today is constructed based off of the construction of sex, gender, and sexuality. So essentially, what two-spirit means is this umbrella term for like queer essentially but for indigenous people um and for non-indigenous people it would fit into that mold of lgbtq or something that resonates with your culture um so some cultures do have most cultures actually have queer people <laughs> um and we see this erasure throughout media throughout western culture and i'm very sure that all of us were born and raised in the states and in western culture is very much so cis hetero um and so in some regards we don't see that as often when we were growing up but now it's 
more visible which is really awesome and so i don't think a lot of people understood especially like right um i was born in the 90s mid 90s um and then going into like some of us are born later 90s early 2000s um but like when you kind of analyze what's going on at that time right there was the aids movement that was going on literally right before we were born and then which is still ongoing um and then a lot of queer hate and so like that's what like our parents went through right like our parents are like learning it and then like reciprocating it and so i think my mom was like an outlier because of my grandma you know like my i was fortunate enough that like and i actually don't want to say fortunate because i think right there there i guess it sets up this idea that i had privilege when coming out when i don't want to put it as that because it was like my mom was taught traditional teachings that were like accepting of your child of who they are right and so i don't want to misconstrue it of like oh i i do have like that privilege of like my family being accepting of it while at the same time it's a separate branch because it's like an indigenous teaching right um and so i don't want to mix them both together um, and I want to acknowledge that I am fortunate that like my family was accepting um, and still is and, and really awesome. And so like that, that's what I was raised around. Um, and like I tried to put that into the world. And of course, um, some of my family still says like homophobic stuff or like transphobic stuff, which I think is ingrained within our our communities in a negative way like like people don't know that they do it which is i mean it's not okay but i think the education piece of like helping people learn and understand the lived experience that queer people go through um i think helps um and i think like right a lot of people aren't really exposed to it because we live in a society that is like everyone's straight <laughs> everyone um is cis everyone um right like everyone falls into the binary and so like that's not reality and i think that our communities need to work i think that falls in with the solidarity piece of like right you can't there is no asian community without queer people that is just a fact there is no indigenous community without queer people you can't when you say you're fighting for that community you can't exclude like queer and trans folks in that conversation yeah for me honestly just thinking about um, my childhood and upbringing, I want to honest. I can honestly say that um, my just mm -hmm. how do I put it? It was completely toxic. Like my upbringing within 
surrounding surrounding the um just being coined gay or like anything that falls being not hetero hetero um and i think it comes with the fact that um again coming from hawaii we 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 also coined the term gay as also mahu um which is what we use on the islands and um the way we use it is in such a degrading degrading way as well and you got to keep in mind that this was in like the early 2000s and so the me growing up as a child the we when you when you think of the word mahu and we use it within the islands and um the locals that live there you you already have an idea of like what kind of a person they would be and um it, it already falls within like the um stigmatism of like you know demasculinity um you have like a person like mm-hmm. that you just you, you know it's just frowned upon within your family and, and and just all of these things too and so i can honestly say that yeah growing up like it was it was a coined word that i used and um growing up with friends around me too that uh, degrade each other we we use it to um like like replace for like being too girly whatever so on so forth and i can honestly say that yeah i, I don't think that when I was growing up, I I did have, I think I think I did mm-hmm. grow up in grow up with the word, in such a toxic way, and I can, honestly say I'm thankful for that. It wasn't until my middle school year, that I, finally was able to mm-hmm. you know, separate the two together. Like you know, being gay or like just non-hetero in 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 itself is not being completely different being or, um, completely separate from just being a human in general and like how, it's been. You know, like thrown in perspective you know growing up my whole my whole life and i found out that you know a, a really close friend of mine in middle school was gay and like he he was able to like like that didn't sh- like it gave me the realization that didn't change my perspective of him or um like he he was really um able to you know give me that understanding of like you know the pe- people are not that much different and um so on and so forth and so it it, it is it is tricky you know like especially back within that time that at least when i was growing up it's it, it was it was coined in such a way and i i, I am so much thankful for that we're, we're in a, a society now that it's much more open more, much more accepting and um people growing up have a better understanding and what we, we we as like the generation now can create that society where it it is you know much more accepting and easier for for the younger generations to understand now but yeah i can it was it was i feel like we've grown mm-hmm. so much from like these past 20 years and just this whole this whole time and i just you know hope that mm-hmm. we continue making that i think change you as bring well. up a really good point jonathan like <clears throat> the ways that bring up a really good like literally powerful terms have been turned and used to like degrade people um and like that's something that's happened with like uh Dene Bazaar, Navajo language of like Nadle which means two spirit and people would use that as like an insult and it's like okay Nadle people were like super powerful in our community and that's like the teachings and I think people need to understand too that like right we these views are not what was in place before these are assimilated views um and so what i mean by that for example 
a lot of indigenous people in the United States were forced into boarding school, forced into Christianity, forced into all of these things that stripped them of their of our culture. Um, and that also happened to a lot of Native Hawaiian folks too, um, Pacific Islanders. <laughs> and so you see that going on. And so it's not, unfortunately, it's not a surprise that like these terms that are powerful beings, powerful people in our communities are being used against us in our own communities um, because that's what the idea of assimilation does and is essentially. Um, which I think is, is interesting. And now I'm at a point where I'm like trying to reclaim the term Nadle, right? Like reclaim it for Dine people to feel like included, to feel like they belong. Um, because I think it is, it is a powerful term and it shouldn't be used like that, right? Like, and I think any language, any culture, like words have a lot of meaning and when you just throw that around and like try to degrade someone with such with a word that's so powerful it like doesn't do anything and also it does harm whether you know it or not in that moment it harms yeah um thanks for sharing your stories guys um just listening to it made me think of like things that i've recognize like when I first heard the question I was kind of struggling like how did I view it in the past um yeah I want to acknowledge and state that I'm very grateful and thankful that my parents are very open to the idea of LGBTQ plus identities and um I don't identify that way but they've definitely like vocalized like if you are, like, that's okay, we will always support you, we'll always love you, so that is something, yeah, I'm very grateful for. Um, other than that, in my family, I don't actually, I've never had a conversation like that, especially with my grandparents, um, being a very older generation, like, I don't know how my grandparents would react to that, um, and it's definitely a conversation that I've never would or now would feel comfortable having with them um, just to see their views on that because I don't know if they have like views that would articulate well to how I view and I don't know if that conversation is something that like we can ha have at this point in our lives um, especially with like distance doesn't help but um, in school I grew up in like a super small like, predominantly white town, like, small enough that, like, my entire school was probably, like, the equivalent of, like, you guys as a graduating class, um, and so thinking through that, there was a moment in high school where a person, um, had announced and came out that they identified as a trans man, and there was, like, a whole like lawsuit with this school and I just remember everyone thinking that this person was lying and that they were like faking it that they wanted attention and it was just one of those things where like I was so frustrated with because I didn't understand why it was so harmful to everybody else like they felt so many flaws in the system they thought it was ridiculous that this person was taking it to court like all these things and I just didn't understand and they're like well they can just use the like uh, 
unisex bathroom but like the point was that they didn't feel safe that way they felt even more isolated and so that was just something that in my high school it was very toxic in that sense and if you did identify that way that you had to be like the spokesperson and the only like you have kind of singled out that way and that was like your only identity versus your intersecting identities that we always talk about so those were things I experienced where I noticed a lot of people really didn't um, like the idea of yeah heteronormativity being um, kind of tested and pushed back against so that's mm-hmm. things I've noticed mm-hmm. I want to thank everyone for sharing their thoughts on my question right it was really great to be able to like see everyone's experiences and how it compares to my own because I could say that I can see both sides of the spectrum growing up from both sides of my family so on my both sides of my family all live in the United States relatively close to me actually within driving distance right so I was around everyone um on my mom's side uh from before I was born my oldest aunt who's relatively close to my mom's age uh is out and she's a lesbian right and so I grew up with that I didn't know she was a lesbian though I just knew that she was quote-unquote different right she identifies as a as a butch lesbian and so the way she dresses is what you would uh you associate with a traditional masculine man right but um in Vietnamese the language is not necessarily gendered but we do use pronouns right when speaking to one another and so when you refer to each other there's these gendered pronouns and regardless of the way she identified she still used she her pronouns right and seeing that was i don't want to say awe awe inspiring right that was just the norm for me that was just what i was used to and i want to say that that set the stage for me where i didn't think anything out of the norm was not normal because like i said that is what i grew up with but with that being said so with that side of my family being so accepting it wasn't even a conversation point it was just that's my aunt that's who she is okay moving on right didn't bad eyelash whereas on the other side of my family there was this taboo and similar to what Jonathan mentioned where like you know using the term gay is like derogatory and what why is that though right because gay is just a sexual orientation that doesn't why is it that when we think of a sexual orientation it's now derogatory and just seeing those two different simultaneously those two different viewpoints growing up I want to say confused me but didn't at the same time part of me is like very open right well growing up I want to say part of me super open because this is the norm to me but the other part of me is like well if it was normal why do you hear these things on media with around yourself why is it also a taboo subject at the same time like just to associate and that's part of the reason why I asked this question because you know I first of all I wanted to know what everyone else had in their life growing up but also just seeing like why is it there's this separation almost for myself of course um where it's okay to be different but it's also not okay to be different right and just hearing what everyone had to say it just shows I think the power of ignorance in a bad way obviously because similar to what Jonathan mentioned again I 
I keep on picking on you, but is that it wasn't until middle school when you like found someone in your life that identified that way and then you were able to see this, right? And you were like, oh, okay. Just because my friends like this doesn't make them any different than what they were before, right? And I think that's like an issue that all communities and all different issues, it's just ignorance in general where when these conversations aren't had, you know, it's difficult. And I myself struggle with that, like having these conversations because part of me is also afraid too because, similar to what Rebecca said, where it's like, what if what I hear isn't what I want to hear, right? And it's being afraid. But I think being afraid feeds into this ignorance. And I guess this leads to my second question or like idea is, where have your views, I guess, changed from the past? And I think some of us have ta- like touched on this. Um, you know, I guess for myself in the past, I was confused. And I think now I'm not that confused. Always there's a little lingering confusion. I don't think anyone's never not confused. But I guess my question for everyone to reiterate is, how have your views on the LGBTQ plus communities changed as time has progressed, right? And like, how did that change come about? For me, I, I would say that once I started going to Oregon State, which is funny enough, I like to say at least where like the places that I find myself because of the classes or whatever is predominantly white, heterosexual, cis, male spaces actually. But with that being said, despite Oregon State or where I've associated at Oregon State being like that, that's where I was able to find more community and learn more about the LGBTQ plus communities, specifically queer people of color too. Um, And I was just wondering for everyone, like how have your views changed and what sparked that change? And if you wanted to, or we can touch on this later, where do you see that you still need to grow, right? And to answer that question too, before we move on to everyone else's answers, I find myself wanting to know more about more identities always, because I think that um, even when you feel that you know a lot, there's always more to learn, right? Um, Because I think learning is like true power. Like you can't take learning from other people away once you've learned something. But anyway, that was my spiel. Yeah, thank you for that, Sandy. Um, I think, yeah, kind of going back to how I mentioned, I think it really is that one friend that I had in middle school that really did shape of, like, my perspective to how it was, like, how toxic it was back then to, like, me really understanding and um, him being able to give me that, um, like, proper perspective and just that environment of, like, like, you know, just being accepting of within the community, understanding the community and just... Um, like you know supporting him because just supporting him allowed me to understand okay like you know to supporting the rest of the community and just everything that he does and 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 things of that sort as well and so I think that definitely did shape shape my understanding for sure that was I think the most pivotal part Um, and um, I think my my parents did play a little bit as well also like um despite being within like an Asian family where you know like all my parents or like grandparents really care about is you know like family you know get them getting a grandchild and, and um, so forth but 
um, I found out that I do have a lot of like relatives that are um, like LGBTQ as well, and like my mom is fairly accustomed and um, grown to that, and so that was something that was never pressured upon. That was something that was never like forced upon um, on me as well, and like how 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 derogatory like it it shaped was. Like my mom didn't really care about that because like she she had family that, that was like that as well, and. And that I think also helped shape, like my, um, shaped shaped it as well for me too, and didn't really bring that much toxicity within my family's perspective. Also, um, it it really was just like you know with my friends and growing up within school, and so um that was another thing I'm very thankful for. Um, but yeah, like I I think you you really did bring up a good point, Sandy, on like ignorance and just really, like you know. Destroying that ignorance and just bringing more of that awareness and letting people know and experience, because um, again, that's how it um, shaped for me, and um, it's just yeah, allowing that to be more for others that didn't have that experience as well, and just sharing that. So, mm-hmm. I can I can add on. I think it's always funny how like um, one, I identify as queer. Two, uh, like how some families are just like so heartbroken not families I don't want to say families I want to say parents parents get some parents get so heartbroken of like I don't get to have a grandchild and it's like well you could still have queer people have children you know like they can have children like normal people um and like I I think there's that that selfishness of like I want like a, another baby to look like me essentially but i right like i want to let people know that queer people can have kids um and then at the same time like i really like the topic of ignorance because i think that's so important and i i might have like mixed up this definition or created my own definition of ignorance but um i don't really because there's like a negative connotation to it right so i try to flip it for some folks to like help them ease into like what ignorance is um and so like and i even tell like some of my family this too like if i tell you something and i remind you i'll give you like two passes (laughs) but if i tell you something that like i'm like this was not okay to say because of this right x y and z and they continue to do it that is ignorant right that that right there is ignorant but if you don't know you just don't know like how do you know what you don't know (laughs) and so i don't i'm not as hard on family in terms of that because i know that the way that they're raised and i know that they've experienced trauma and they have gone through a really tough time and so like right the stuff that they know was like and I don't want them to forget that because I don't think I don't in life you can never unlearn anything right like you can never learn you're always going to learn and I think it's important to remember what you learned because it helps shift the way that you look at things so I'm not a huge fan of like unlearn this because I don't right you're not unlearning it you are relearning something different or learning something different actually um that really shifts like how you look at things for example um like 
in some classes is like uh, and I teach I teach a class and they're like I have to unlearn this about Disney and it's like well you don't have to unlearn it like you've already learned it right you already watched the film when you were younger you've already watched Cinderella you've already watched uh Sleeping Beauty so I can't I'd like you can't unlearn what you saw um and so like you're just getting a new perspective on it right you're getting a new breakdown of what is being shown in these things and that's like the whole point of life and so i don't want people to feel discouraged or like think that they have to unlearn something or because they learn something it's locked and loaded right no it doesn't work like that everything is always changing and in motion and in different ways and so i try to like give my family a benefit of the doubt in terms of like ignorance or like calling them ignorant because i don't think they're it becomes to the point of ignorance when I have to keep telling them, right? And I, I feel like this goes to other people too. Like, if we keep telling you, like, we're on indigenous land and you don't acknowledge that we're on indigenous land, that's ignorant. <laughs> so that's one example. Um, and I think that it goes for, like, a lot of things that, like, cutie BIPOC folks are saying, uh, queer, trans, uh, black, indigenous people of color are talking about, right? Like, and, and I think the frustration with um that like a lot of cutie bipoc folks have with like the lgbtq community or like the gay community and i want to emphasize the gay community because it has been shifted over time to fit a white narrative a white mold um and so there's a lot of like like tension not i don't want to say that there's there's no hate, but there's tension because of the ways that white supremacy functions and the ways that gay culture has adopted white supremacy in a way that that shows like right their proximity to whiteness is there, one, and two, like a lot of white gays have the can hide to be uh like hetero. <laughs> and so like not saying that all can but that's one of the things that's there and because the ways that gay community the gay community or gay culture functions is to please whiteness such as like we kind of know the example of like white women and nothing's wrong with white women but they're the ways that white feminism has perpetuated a standard to meet or be at the same level as white men and that goes with the gay community too and so there there's that level of of tension and ignorance because the cutie bipoc community keeps telling like the gay community that like that's not how we like experience trauma right we're we're exper experiencing di things different than they are um in a lot of ways not saying that it's an oppression olympics but saying that right that people will often listen to white gay men about the queer experience than cutie bipoc folks and take it as that right which isn't the complete truth or narrative and so i think i kind of like sidetracked a lot but I think it's important information because um, I think that 
has helped me like distinguish where I find my community and where I fit in because like I've seen the effects I've experienced the effects of of like white gayness um and a lot of ways of like how it's affected my mental health how it's affected my friend group or how it's affected the way I talk to people um and so that like finding my community and like cutie BIPOC folks has really helped me understand like wow there is like there's a whole community <laughs> I don't want to say community like a whole network or I guess community we'll say community of a people who like literally go through the same things and I think right we are trying to help other folks like understand the experience right like I think that is a big issue of like I'm not bashing white gayness and I want to acknowledge like right like there there needs to be work there and I don't feel included in gay culture in that way because I'm not white <laughs> yeah uh, that's a, like a good point because I feel like in high school, um, there were some people that like identified the LGBT community there, and um, they were, I don't know how to say, like they were actually like popular in our high school, um, and kind of like oh everyone wants to be friends with like the gay guy or they just like the girls like they want to have a gay best friend, um, and maybe that is like ignorance um, or just like the media like plays into it. Um, so I was like kind of curious like in a question I was wondering if it's like media or the stereotypes that kind of how does that affect that like maybe it is like the white community um, of their ideas about like how other people now see gay people such as like from shows or other stuff and that probably affects the community for sure mm -hmm. but yeah <laughs> I just, I just reminded me of that, like, a little bit. No. Yeah, that, that, that is a really great point. And I think, right, um, so I want to also recognize that, like, LGBTQ would not have been a thing without queer and trans black folks. Um... And I also want to recognize black and indigenous people of color as well in that movement too, because they literally spearheaded everything. Um, and of course, like, right, we, we hear a lot about, or even see like a lot of um, white gay men being praised for coming out, such as like the new bachelor, <laughs> uh, or like not the, he's not the new bachelor, he was a bachelor and then he came out and it like blew up to this thing when it's like, okay like they're literally like black and brown folks dying right now um and so it was like a, l the least of my worries which is like great thing that he was able to come out and happy for him and at the same time like it wasn't a big deal to me um and so like i think the ways that prettiness or um the ways that like the GBF, the gay best friend is 
co-opted is in a way that's like that originated from queer and trans black folks black indigenous people of color actually and it shifted where it's like oh they're white so it's like at an elevated level you know um and we can see this within like different shows within different movies where like the queer character or the gay character is the one that's like people want to be friends with or like all the girls want to be friends with um and like doesn't even like take a second look at like a queer trans bipoc person um and that's intentional it it really is intentional of like how people portray or see um uh the queer community actually which is pretty harmful and i think in some spaces there are a lot of like cutie bipoc um actors that like that portray it well and that have been like speaking on um on like the cutie bipoc experience such as like pose i don't really like ryan murphy <laughs> i'll admit that right now i think he does does he do pose i'm not a huge ryan murphy fan but anyway <laughs> that one like allowed people to to share the cutie bipoc experience right and so i give props to that and it's becoming more like accurate in a way of course super dramatized <laughs> um but at least they are portraying queer folks uh from with actors that are actually cutie bipoc <laughs> you know um and so we're seeing more and i think that's what the great thing and excited to see like what happens in 20 years like will we have more folks um but yeah i think before it was always that narrative around whiteness um and i there's a shift that we can i think we all see the shift in different things um and like i just watched it and super excited about it but like we have yeah. like a black captain i watched America, it yesterday <laughs> like that's exciting that is something to be like happy for it was so good um and so like we're seeing even though like that is seen as like hetero which i'm like i don't the bromance. Is sam hetero <laughs> i'm just kidding oh um, but like but like how we there's like steps moving us to a, into a good direction where it's like encompassing a whole experience and maybe even down the line where like lgbtq is a western construct and so like how do we begin to understand a world outside of that yeah for sure i think like especially like on media and shows it's important to acknowledge if like they're doing more harm than like you know educating and um showing representation through that i think that um angela thank you for bringing up that like the concept or this whole you know side idea because it made me think while Suk Savant was talking, like digesting what they said on top of that. Um, I think that the media and just white gay culture in general has created the concept of a palatable gay man. Um, that shift from in the past when you think of gay, and I'm speaking very stereotypical, mm -hmm. right? Flamboyant. Um, 
on, on top of that, I think the flamboyancy also comes from gay white culture adopting and honestly taking a lot from black queer um, culture, um, you know, with mm-hmm. their use of a lot of terms that drag uh, black drag queens had created in the past, right? And then, anyway, the reason why I mentioned all of that, right, is the fact that mm-hmm. that in itself creating the palatable gay man which we can see with for example uh love simon i believe um the movie that came out it's cute right like it's cute i get it right but when you think about that mm-hmm. he's very like you know palatable i, I don't yeah. know how else to say it other than the fact that acceptable right and that in itself <clears throat> is because he's quiet and he yeah. doesn't He's not embarrassing or whatever, right? And that in itself is problem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's problematic because... And he's masked You know, it... The idea of the palatable gay man, as I mentioned earlier, is all those definitions that had... Or these characteristics I described in itself is denouncing what is associated with the stereotypical gay man. But all those stereotypes came from these white men, white gay men stealing from black culture, right? Or specifically drag culture. And now you're denouncing that. So therefore, Mm -hmm. you're denouncing this black culture. And what it has to say is this, this big, big conversation overall, that the, the conversation is not the conversation, but the presentation is moving from instead of excluding gay gay identities and culture, right, uh, it's more, or pop culture, I should say, is now moving it towards, fine, we are okay with not heteronormative relationships, but it has to be a very specific way. It has to be digestible, and it has to be okay according to our beliefs. And mm-hmm. I think that... There is a lot of work, obviously, right? And as mentioned by Six of One, Pose is a really great example. Obviously, it's dramatized, but it's also a TV show, too. So, like, you can only do so much about it. Like, that's the whole thing. Just, like, um, like moments where you're like, whoa, right? But I don't know. I think that you just mentioning that Angela in the first place just brings up this great conversation piece where it, it is a lot to think about and how race does, as Six of One, Sukhsavan mentioned without you know um BIPOC queer BIPOC folk right there wouldn't be LGBTQ like mm-hmm. it, it just wouldn't be there maybe like what you would associate with the culture or the communities but what we know as yeah. of right now those foundations wouldn't be there because it was through the work of these pioneers these elders mm-hmm. that led us to where we are now. Yeah. And if you haven't seen Love, Simon, it's a pretty good movie, but I'm like, boo-boo, you have, like, Bernie parents. Like, literally, they're Bernie fans. And, which I get, like, I totally understand coming out is a huge process, and it's a scary process, too. And I'm like, your parents love Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I don't think you should be too scared <laughs> to come out to your parents. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty funny. But, like, 
like literally people have it's sad because like in a way it shows that like one it is a scary process two i also think that like in that instance when you see like that lifestyle of simon i'm critiquing it right now (laughs) that like simon as like a cis white gay man (laughs) he is coming out which and he actually lives like a very privileged life and if you haven't seen it his house is like super fancy (laughs) and um not saying that it's like easier i'm just saying like right there i think that is what wraps itself around whiteness too like right what we're talking about this white gayness and in terms of how like the attachment that people there's a lot of cutie bipoc folks that can't resonate with simon and they will never resonate with simon to be honest because we don't live that life we don't live that experience um we don't have like parents who are who are political activists (laughs) that are like super liberal um and we do have some parents that are but i'm i'm saying like right in that instance there was a moment where it was like like i can't resonate because one i don't a lot of kitty bipoc folks families are assimilated that we talked about before and so how do people do that you know anyway i went too off of a tangent (laughs) i think that that tangent was totally fine though because it leads into my next question perfectly actually which my question is how do you all believe the lgbtq plus and aapi communities intersect and of course a really easy way to answer this is that some folks identify as both as part of the aapi community and also lgbt or queer right um but i mean more in depth like what do you think that these communities have in common and not so much and i guess an example is like what do you think they both have going against them right um what do these communities both suffer from and at the same time what do these at their essence communities fight for Uh, a topic i always mention is how um white supremacy acts against both api communities and lgbtq plus communities in their essence in the sense that to be a cis hetero man is the perfect um thing to be and you will be put on a pedestal in a in your essence just when you see yourself in the community i would even say just like standard society right but that's my question. What are your thoughts? Um, something that comes to mind for me that kind of also backtracks a little bit, yeah, to the last tangent of digestibility and palatability is um, the concept of how we view, understand, and like practice masculinity. Um, for many, I feel at least many like Asian identities um, for cis men are very like emasculized and they're very feminized and in that sense it plays back into the only acceptable gay 
Asian man would be that more masculine man, um, the more attractive man. Um, and that's something that, yeah, I was really thinking about a lot when you guys were bringing up those points that of digestibility and what is considered acceptable, especially within, like, um, a white supremacist narrative, too. Um, so, yeah, that was just something I was thinking about a lot of how that idea of masculinity intersects with everything and how we also use it, like, once masculinity is defined we don't need to define femininity because everything else is feminine at that point um and so that's yeah what was going on in my mind was how we view and portray masculinity yeah and i think for me too i i keep thinking of the example and how we brought up within that last conversation of just yeah this whole idea of like how white supremacy governs both and that just this whole idea that um the gay white is idolized and still works against you know and does not represent this whole the the whole rest of the gay community and that on top of like um the aapi community also being still suppressed by the cis white male and just that whole narrative it's it it's that uh, I think that's like the main thing that I really think about uh, on this question and how how much that that really does work against both um, communities and it I think is definitely something that needs to be you know addressed and talked about more and be more aware of so yeah yeah um, I think for sure both of them are like minorities um, fighting against stereotypes as well as like hate crimes. Um, and I think both of them are equally, or I think right now having a tough time. Um, and I think a lot of education um, has been put out there, which is I'm like glad that there's now um, like being talked about recently. So I think both of them are like really important so for sure, I think the education on both sides have gone a lot better. I've been thinking about, um, and for anyone interested, there is a reading by Dean Spade called Normal Life. It's a book. Um, they are a um, white trans man who talks about the, and distinguishes gay versus queer and that really helped fuel this conversation but also if you want more on it um, there's a really beautiful table that they that they point out of like I'll give one example so the gay community is fighting for like uh, marriage equality which passed and um, and so that was like one of their goals and then it's like now they're okay and they can conform to like white society again and queer is like fighting for like uh universal health care or houses or um rescue centers stuff like that and so you can really see the distinguishing between like gay culture versus queer culture um and i'm trying to 
think about how LGBTQ plus and A API or API communities like intersect and I think one we have queer people in our communities too uh, I also think like the the conversation around um, not the conversation I I felt really like emotional with the events that happened in Atlanta um, with our Asian relatives, um, Asian women who were um, targeted. And I write like that was intentional and in a lot of ways. And it kind of goes back to what Becca was talking about, of, like, right. And, and this was a narrative that was missing too, which also like, like important that the ways that Asian women have been like treated, that's how sometimes queer Asian men or queer Asian folks, I'll say Asian folks, are um, treated within the queer community too, or like I want to say gay community uh, to distinguish it because like firsthand I have been through some of that trauma too of like, wow, I've been treated the way that like these people have been like like my Asian relatives have been treated because I'm Asian right or like even seeing in the past and I'm not saying like it's not okay to have a preference but like right what does that mean when everyone before you was Asian or everyone after you is also Asian or looks like you and so I think there that is another intersection of like the ways that speaking from experience the way that like my queer identity and um, Asian identity intersect um, in how I begin to understand it. And also, right, like, it is erased from the narrative intentionally. Um, and so, like, how do we bring that up? How do we, how do we make sure that, like, we voice that there are queer Asian folks that are experiencing trauma too? Um, because it it's a fact and at the same time like we like to think that the Asian community or API community is hetero when it's not <laughs> um, and this can go back to like right like cultural teachings too of, of, of how societies are or were before we had borders or before we had like world domination of stuff like that and how we begin to understand like societies at outside of the construction of sex gender and sexuality well i think that wraps up our conversation for today thank you to everyone who tuned in and we hope you had a really interesting conversation um and reflection for yourself um don't forget to tune in next friday for our next episode and stay tuned um, for this month as we celebrate Asian Pacific Islander and Desi, Desi American Heritage Month, also known as APITA. Um, our first episode was live last week, so make sure you check that out as well and stay up to date. We'll see you next time.